Well, good morning, and happy birthday. Isn't that exciting? How many of you knew it was our birthday today? Oh, a lot of you did. It's cool because it's always the very first Sunday of February, 42 years young. Amen? 42 is young, isn't it? I mean, think about that. So, that's good. Everyone said yes. 42 years young. I'm 44, and I just think that 42 is way young, like just getting started <laughs> and figuring things out. I saw something this week, and uh, it was an article about the most productive decade of a person's life. What decade, after hundreds of research and interviews across our country, do you think is the most productive decade of an American's life? You ready for this? The most productive decade is between 70 and 80 years old. Come on, folks. There you go. If you're not dead, you're not done. What's the second most productive decade of an American's life? See, a lot of people, they do. They go back earlier and they think, oh, it must be your 20s or your 30s. It's actually 60 to 70 years old. So if you're between 60 and 80, you are in prime time right now. Come on. And again, if I'm 44, I've I got a whole life ahead of me. right? If you're, in my, if you're a Gen Xer like me, I know there's not many of us, but come on, Gen Xers. we got a whole life ahead of us. Those of you that are younger, think of all of the possibility that you have and now view that in, in light of our church being 42 years old because I believe God is just now getting started on what he wants to do in and through the people of Shepherd's Gate. Amen? I think our community outreach, our, our impact in the world, our ability to watch more and more people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, we have just hit the, the, the tip of the iceberg of what God has for our future. Amen? So I hope you are as excited about our future as I am, and I, we know and we trust and believe that God has so much more in store. And so today, uh, if you're a guest, my name's Tim. I get the privilege of being the lead pastor here, uh, and I've been a, on staff here actually the last 18 years, so I've been part of this church for a long time. And one of the things that, that we've done kind of the last five years or so is go through books of the Bible and so we just happen to be dead set in the middle of the book of Joshua. It's an Old Testament book. The Bible's divided into two divisions, Old Testament and New Testament. And so for the last four weeks, we've been trying to do two chapters a week. And so for the next four weeks, we're also going to be on a similar pattern in that regard. Uh, but before we dive into our text, as always, I want to start with just a question for you. And as I ask this question, I don't want you to answer immediately. I want you just to kind of simmer on it for a moment. Is that fair? All right. Is it ever acceptable to lie? See, some of you were so quick, you didn't even follow the instructions. <laughs> Those are probably my black and white friends, right? There, yes and no. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And sometimes I think that that's where being a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, and you may be here today and you're just exploring what this church is about, you're exploring Christianity, maybe you're joining us online and you fall in that kind of same category, we're so glad that you're here and learning more about us. But sometimes for Christians, it's difficult for us to live in the gray areas. 
and even the gray areas of Scripture that we don't always completely understand, but we know and trust God's Word to be true. Amen? Amen. See, this is what we know, and, and if you didn't grow up in church, and you didn't grow up going to Sunday school, you may be still familiar with what's called the Ten Commandments, these kind of ten laws from God. And one of them is, is actually this. God said you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And so false witness is just another way of saying lying. So even if you're not a follower of Jesus, even if you maybe don't believe all the teachings of the Bible, you still would say, yeah, lying's not a good thing, right? Like we shouldn't lie to each other. Uh, you know, our country shouldn't lie to other countries. Like everybody on the planet should play by the same rules. We should all get along, amen? And then so there's this value that comes from God that literally is universal that we all agree on. Well, I don't know how many of you are familiar with a woman called Pamela Meyer. Does anybody know Pamela Meyer? She's an author. She's a, she, uh, she speaks publicly. Uh, she has for years. And believe it or not, she's an expert in lying, okay? And she wrote a book called Lie Spotting. And so she did all this data research, interviewed all these people, and she said on any given day, we are lied to from blank to blank times. Now, before you answer, the reason she came up with this data, it's based on your consumption of information. And so what you do every single day, how much time do you actually spend watching the news? How much time you spend scrolling through social media? Because we know everything that you read on social media is true. <laughs> In fact, that whole thing about 70 to 80 and, and 60 to 70, I actually got that from Pastor Craig's Meyer's wife, Susan's Facebook page. She's the one that posted that. <laughs> so I was like, it must be true because she's a pastor's wife. I did not verify if it's actually correct. It just sounded good for my message. So here, hopefully I didn't lie to you today. So what do you think the answer is? On any given day, we're lied to from what to what? How many times? 10 to 12? 50? This is what she says. Based on how you live your life, what comes in and out of your ears, what goes in and out of your eyeballs, anywhere from 10 to 200 times a day. No wonder our world is so turned upside down. Advancement of technology, the constant information coming from all different sources, all different sides. And then think about laying that on top of our children and the information they receive. Or layer that on top of your grandchildren and the message that they receive on a daily basis. Constantly being lied to. How about what happened a couple years ago, right around February, whole world shut down. Do you think people were more truthful or less truthful in 2020? Same thing the last service said. It's interesting because you just do a simple church, a search on the Federal Trade Commission. Consumers, us, the American people, reported losing more than 3.3 billion to fraud in 2020, which was up from 1.8 billion in 2019. Almost double. You think the devil's having a field day out there? 
Do you think the fallen sinful human nature is also joining in that and having a field day and taking advantage and exploiting people and ruining lives and causing havoc? Remember, the devil is not your friend. The devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants nothing but destruction for you and your family. Well, today, as I said, we're going to be continuing our series in Joshua, and we're going to be looking at chapters 9 and 10. Hopefully, we make it to 10. If we only get to 9, that's fine. Uh, But we're going to be looking at this whole idea of deception and divine intervention. Now, if you've been here the last four weeks, you know the theme of Joshua is death, okay? God's called his people to cross over the Jordan into the promised land because God's the one that promised them to to have this land, and sometimes the, the Bible can get a little messy because basically the way that they're taking over the land that God promised to them is by going and destroying other civilizations, other people groups. And I know if maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not familiar with the Bible, it, it's like, well, how can there be a God who created us, a loving God who created everyone, but that would be okay with, really honestly, genocide of certain groups of people? And so for us, it's not always an easy yes or no, black or white answer. It's God is just. God is the one who always carries out his will on this planet. And he knows the human heart of every single person, including groups of people. And when there's groups of people who over a long period of time refuse to turn toward God and have their hearts set on the things of the world, God knows that they're never ever going to turn their hearts toward him. And so then he allows which sometimes is hard for us to grasp, determination of human life. And so if you've been here, you're probably like, man, are we going to talk about the children of Israel killing people again today? No. (laughs) There's a plot twist in week five of our series, and that's what's so exciting to share with you today. So if you want to grab one of the chair Bibles, page 184, if you don't have a Bible, please make sure that you take one home with you today. Good news for you, church. Uh, we've had so many Bibles that have, been, uh, that have been taken from our worship center that they had to order more. So I'm so excited about that. I love giving Bibles away. Please take them home. And if you're joining us online, go grab your Bible or you can click the Bible tab in your online screen if you're in the chat and you can go ahead and type Joshua chapter 9. So you guys ready? Ready to do this? Chapter 9 and 10. Jap- uh, Joshua chapter 9 verse 1 starts this way. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland. So basically we're moving into the country because up to this point, the first eight chapters, they have conquered all the land in what would be the central part of the promised land. So now they're starting to move south. So it's funny that south is the country. All along the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Pezzarites, the Hivites, and the Jesubites heard of this They gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. So here's what's so interesting. They know what has taken place. They know how how God has strategically moved the Israelites, this army, and they've been defeating town by town, village by village, people group by people group. And so they said, wait a second, why do we keep trying to do this on our own? Why don't the five of us come together and try to fight them and maybe just maybe then we can overtake them and not have the same fate as everyone that used to live north of us in this land. So here's what's interesting. Here's the, the plot twist. It says, but when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done in Jericho and Ai, they on their part acted with cunning. So someone raised their hand and said, wait, wait, wait wait a second. Maybe there's another way to do this. Maybe there's another way to go about this. 
And oh, by the way, the, this term cunning in this passage is the same exact Hebrew word that's used all the way back in Genesis when it talks about the serpent being cunning with Eve. This is what it says. And they made ready their provisions, and they took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended, with worn-out patched sandals on their feet and worn-out clothes. You get the theme, worn-out, worn-out, worn-out. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. So this is their military strategy. They're coming up with a plan. And so they say, go get everything that's aged. Go get everything that looks like it's completely worn out. And this is what they did. They went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, and they said to him and to the men of Israel, we have come from a distant country. Isn't that awesome? We have come from a far along land. So now make a covenant with us. And all of the men of Israel look back at them and say, who are you? And where did you come from? And oh, you, you kind of look familiar and you sound familiar. I'm not sure why, but I feel like maybe I have seen you before. So they go to Joshua, because that's what you do. You always go to the leader. And, it, and they say to Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua does the same thing. Who are you? Like, this wasn't part of what God told us to do. This isn't part of the plan. We crossed the Jordan. We were supposed to go, as God instructed us, to every tribe, every nation, and completely destroy them. That was part of his plan that he promised way back with Abraham. And he asked, where did you come from? And so again, they say to him, we come from this very distant country. Your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. We've actually heard reports of what you guys have done and what he did in and through you all the way back in Egypt. This is so cool. And all that you guys did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan. I mean, information was still being shared. Information was, was still getting out, and, and they knew what was taking place, and they knew how God's hand was literally upon the Israelites. So it says, our elders told us, take provisions in your hand for the journey, for this long, long, long journey, and go and meet them, and say, we want to be your servants. We want to be your servants. If you will just make a covenant with us, here is our bread. And when we first started out, it was really, really warm. And now it's like old and crusty and moldy. And wouldn't you know that here is all of these other things that we've brought, our wine screens. They were new when we started on our journey, but now they're aged and they don't even work anymore and they're bursting. And look at our garments and sandals. Look at us. It's like dressing up like a homeless person, right? Look at me. Look how, look how much I don't have. Look how far I've traveled. Look how hard life has been on me. And what are we going to do? How are we going to respond to this? Now, some of you, some of you have the gift of storytelling, don't you? You know what I'm talking about? And it can be a very positive thing. It can be very, very good. You, you just, you have a, you have a, a way of just taking something and just explaining it where people are drawn to you. But there's also a time when storytelling can become deceptive, can't it? And maybe you have someone in your family or you have someone in your life that every time you with them, you're with them, they always have a long story. You know what I'm talking about? And so what we'll say is this person or that person is being dramatic. Or we'll say they're being over dramatic. Does anyone have people like that in their lives? 
if you don't have someone like that in your life, you may be that person. <laughs> and it's okay. We love you because everyone's weakness is just their strength stretched to the max. And so if sometimes you cross over that line, that's just because you're a fallen sinful person, okay? So don't get mad at me. But isn't it interesting that this is actually a tactic of survival? I mean, they're trying to figure out how not to be completely annihilated because they know systematically that's what the children of Israel are doing. Now, some of you in here, maybe you study history. I know all of us have been in school. Maybe you study war or you were in the military. What is one of the biggest tactics of the military in planning for war? Surprise. And, and getting the enemy to think you're going to do one thing and then you come and you do something else. Now, uh, all of us, I'm pretty certain, studied World War II in school. Okay? You remember one of the biggest moments in World War II, what was called D-Day, when the Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy. And so you can kind of see that, right? All of these nations coming together, the Allied nations trying to fight Nazi Germany. But what's so often missed is we don't realize all of the things that took place leading up to storming Normandy. Do some of you know where I'm going with this? And so this is really interesting because a lot of, of the countries, they came up with these ideas of how to trick the Germans. And so how many of you do remember these two pictures? Anybody in here remember this? Or is everyone getting a history lesson today? Okay, I got two, three, Four, five, okay, we're up to six. They actually created fake tanks. I mean, these guys are holding the tank up. Obviously, this isn't a real tank. To trick the Germans, to make them think that there was an army that was over here in a different part in Sweden, actually, and that they were going to attack from this angle instead of going up through Normandy. They also had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fake dummy parachuters and so they would drop these dummies out of the plane to trick their enemy. Isn't that fascinating? And this has gone on for hundreds and thousands of years. You can research all of the ways in which certain people came up with tactics and plans to trick the people they were fighting against. So even in this Bible, even as we read this, it's not something that's new to humanity. But this is the pivotal verse. This is the verse in verse 14 that really forces us to have to pause. I want you to see this verse. It says, So the men took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel from the Lord. Two questions in this. One, why would you want someone's used stuff? Why would you want moldy bread, an old wineskin that doesn't work, or somebody's old clothes and sandals? I mean, what you want to just go slap some Israelites at this point, right? Worse, that's just the beginning of it. Worse was when they move in the whole realm of they did not ask counsel from the Lord. Were they getting a little too confident? Were they getting cocky? Because here they had had success after success after success after success. I mean, for crying out loud, they marched around walls for seven days and all they had to do was shout and everything came crumbling down before them. I mean, all of the different battles that they had fought outside of Achan's sin and losing a, f a small group of men, I mean, they have had a very successful campaign, military campaign, up until this point. 
And this should pause us as we read texts like this, as we read accounts like this, and make us reflect because the question that I kept circling in my head over and over again is this, have we ever made a major decision in our lives without bringing it to God first? I want you to think about that. And sometimes I wonder in our day and age, and I'm speaking of myself as well, here it is, 2022. We're so sophisticated, aren't we? We're so smart, we're educated, maybe we have money, maybe we've had some successes in life, and so we have this almost security in the world that we've created here on earth. And so when major decisions come our way, we feel, well, I can just make this decision on my own. Do I actually need to go to God in prayer? Should I pause my life for a moment and grab my spouse's hands and say, you know what, before we buy this or before we do this or before we begin this new venture, maybe we should see what God thinks. Maybe we should ask his opinion. Maybe we should ask for his Holy Spirit to give us peace and guidance into this situation in our lives. And my fear is that as humanity continues to develop and grow, we can look back in the Old Testament and we can say, well, man, they were so primitive back then and they were living in tents and yada, 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 and they didn't have this or that. We can even go back and look at World War II and go, that would never happen today. No one's going to make fake tanks and throw dummies out of out of planes because technology has advanced so much to where we become prideful, to where we have this false sense of security in what we know or what we have instead of in the one true and living God. So I would ask you this morning, let this convict you. Bring up the things that maybe you've done and you realize there's kind of a residual to maybe some of the decisions that you've made in the past or maybe you're getting ready to make a decision right now and this is the perfect time and God aligned you to be here today or watch online today so that you don't make one more step forward until you include God in your plans. Because I believe that's how much he loves you and I believe that's how much he's drawing you to himself and I believe that's how much he wants to be part of our lives not just the full picture, but each and every moment of our lives. Look at what happens. Even Joshua made peace with them. Joshua, the spokesperson, Joshua, the one who God would speak to, and Joshua would then speak to the children of Israel, he didn't go to God either. He made peace with them. He made a covenant. He gave them what they wanted. He fell into their trap, and they let them live. And then check this out, the leaders of the congregation, the children of Israel, their leaders, swore to them. This wasn't just Joshua on his own. Because isn't it easy to take out the leader of an organization? Right? It's always when things go wrong, you just, you just take out the, the person at the top of, of the org chart. And here it's all of them in leadership are all part of this decision. Now look at what happens. At the end of three days, so it took three whole days, they had made a covenant with them. They heard that they were neighbors and that they lived among them. How upset would you be about this? If you're an Israelite, right, and you're like, what just happened? I now have to share my land. I now have to live with, with this group of people for out 
whoever knows length of time. How upset would you be? Would you know the Bible tells us? The people of Israel did not attack them because the leaders had sworn to them by the Lord. Then all the congregation Okay, now remember, this is ESV, English Standard Version, because those are the Bibles that are in the seats. If this was the New International Version, what word do you think would be used here? Complained against the leaders. Now, if you're new to Shepherd's Gate, I just want you to know no one ever complains <laughs> about anything at Shepherd's Gate. Okay? I, I don't, don't even know what to do with this text. I was like, poor Joshua. No, I, this is what I said, and I said this at the last service too. When, when people complain, most of the time, and I would say 99% of the time, it's because they're passionate about this church, and it, they're passionate about the direction of our church, and maybe they don't know exactly how to articulate their frustration or, or what it is that, that's just burning inside of them, and they want to make sure that we stay on the, the straight and narrow. But there are times when people just complain to complain. I mean, this is, this is the time when you are allowed to complain. Like, what just happened? What really legitimately just took place? Hey, by the way, just so you know, they all knew what God had already told Moses. Moses said they were going to destroy everybody in the land. How did they forget that? And oh, by the way, if you were here for Ben's message last week, he ended by saying that Joshua went back and reread to them all the laws of Moses. They even put it on stones. They even went through the work of writing it down again on stones. How did they forget that? How could they be so easily duped into thinking that this was God's plan for their future? So the leader said to them, let them live. And so they become cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said to them. And of course, look at Joshua's response. Now therefore, you are cursed. I mean, he's mad, and he should be, but he should be mad at himself for allowing this to happen and not going to God first. And he says the same thing. Some of you will never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. Which, let me ask you, what would you want? Would you rather be dead, or would you rather be serving somebody for the rest of your life? Interesting, isn't it? Interesting dynamic. What did the Israelites inflict on themselves in future generations because they didn't go to God first? See, this wasn't just a decision that affected them in the here and now. The Gibeonites were saved. This covenant was going to last forever. And how did this affect future generations? Seen again, reflect it back to ourselves because we know that we've done things. And it hasn't just impacted our lives. We think it only impacts our lives, but it actually impacts our marriage. It impacts our families. It impacts our places of work. It can impact our neighborhoods. And sometimes the behaviors that we have that we refuse to let go of, the actions that we commit, the words that we say, all of a sudden now begin to get transferred down to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And we refuse to own our sins. We refuse to, to, to acknowledge when there are times that maybe we have been duped. When maybe we have gone ahead of God and we haven't included him on our 
plans. Here's the good news for you today. Do you know that even when we screw it up, that even when we get it wrong, that God never stops working? That when you sang that song this morning, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper, Light in the Darkness, that when you got to the one part, I think it's called a bridge, where you say you never stop, you never stop working, that's actually true. God never goes to sleep. God never just sits on his throne and, and, and folds his hand and just gets all angry and just gives up on humanity. He always works his plan to the very end for you and for me. We are so much more loved than we even realize. We are so less in control of our lives and our destiny than we even realize. Some of us, you need to be free of this because you are so fixated on the here and now in this crazy little tiny world that you think you can create and all of that, God is so much bigger and greater and still working his plan in your life. And there is a freedom that comes. There's a freedom that takes place when you stop living like this and living just in this little realm of this world and you release, you release all of these things to God and you invite him in and you watch in the way that he begins to realign and refocus your life on this planet. All of a sudden, all of the craziness that takes place outside these walls, all the crap that's on the news, all the stupid stuff that's on social media begins not to matter as much because you know who your God is. And more than that, you know who you are. And when you sing that song, I am a child of God, I am a child of God, I am a child of God, that affirms the Holy Spirit's work in your heart and in your life. And that no matter what this stupid world throws at us, he is never going to let you fail. He is never going to let you down. He will never, ever, ever leave you or forsake you. You are so loved and admired by God. And if you're here today and you think that God could never love you, that God could never do a deep work in your heart and your life, do you know that he died for you? that he willingly went to a cross for you, that when he stretched out his arms, all the sins of the world and all of your sins were placed upon him so that he could free you from your sin and free you from darkness and free you from anything that has caught you up in this world. And not only did he stretch out his arms and breathe his last breath and commit his spirit to God the Father, three days later, he stepped out of a tomb and in stepping out of a tomb, he defeated sin, death, and the, and the devil for you. So that you can actually, check this out, experience life. And experience, ready for this? Peace. And experience joy. And experience all that God has. Marriage is a beautiful thing. Family is a beautiful thing. Friends are a beautiful thing. Being part of a church community is a beautiful thing. Thing. He will fight your battles for you. That's the message of Joshua. Now look at this. Because these are the words of Jesus as well. These are the words for us. He says, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Okay, so when you leave here, you are being sent out. So be wise. Use the brain that God has given you. Think about what it is that God has planted in your heart and be wise as serpents, but ready for this, you also likewise have to be innocent as doves. Well, why would God tell you to be innocent? 
Innocent sounds weak, doesn't it? A dove seems like a little tiny scrawny animal. Who wants to be a dove? Anybody want to sign up to be a dove? No. What he's saying is you don't fall into the traps of the world. You don't become a liar. You don't engage in the things at your workplace or in your neighborhoods or maybe even with your family, people that are trying to drag you away from God or trying to drag you down or bring you into the things that God doesn't want for your life. No, his wife, his plan is so much greater than any life that you could try to create here on this earth. Amen? This is why it says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This is what our kids are learning. It's his power. It's his might. He's the one that is at work. Now I'm looking at the clock. And I'm a couple minutes in the negative. They used to turn red. I'm glad, thank you, Kurt, for switching it to white. And we've only gotten to chapter 9. Do you guys want to do chapter 10? Or do you guys have to go sledding? <laughs> Does anyone want to get home and shovel the snow? How about I do this rapid fire? How about that? You think we can get through chapter 10? The reason we have to is because I'm not preaching next week because Ben and I are actually leaving this afternoon for St. Louis as Ben, our student director slash pastor in training, officially begins this program. So pray for us because we're going to be gone Sunday to Thursday. Uh, and you know he has three little ones at home and I have two little ones at home, all boys. So pray for our wives this week <laughs> as Ben and I suffer for Jesus in hotels and live at a seminary, which will be interesting, or whatever they have planned for us this week. But let's do this. I think we can do it. You guys ready? If you need to leave, I'll give you permission to leave. I won't even look when you leave. Okay, here we go. Chapter 10. I'll go through this quick. So these kings, right, they're all coming together. They're all finding out what's going on, and they find out that the Gibeonites have made this agreement with Joshua. So the five kings said, let's not attack Israel. Let's go ahead and gather our forces and instead attack the Gibeonites. Maybe if we attack the Gibeonites that way, we can chase the Israelites out. So, at what point do you just get sick and tired of fighting everyone and everything, right? As you're an Israelite, you've got to be, at some point, be like, my gosh, how many more of these do we have to do before we get all of the land? Verse 6, they find out that all these other places are going to attack them, and maybe it was because they didn't join forces with them as well. So, of course, they cry out to Joshua and the Israelites, save us and help us. You made a covenant with us. You better keep that covenant with us. Don't leave us down here to die. If you're Joshua and the Israelites, how tempted are you in this moment to say, wait a second, it's not us that's killing them. We're just not going to get in the way of somebody else killing them. I mean, survival of the fittest, right? You just let history take its course if that's what's going to happen to them. And what's so interesting is they were so committed to their covenant, that's not what they actually did. And so Joshua actually goes, he gets all the people of war with him, he gets all his mighty men, and once again, God says to Joshua, do not fear them. Over and over again, God puts that in his heart and in his life and in his ears. Do not fear them. I am God and I'm going to take care of them for you. So he marches them all through the night, he throws them into a panic as they arrive early in the morning so they can see the Israelites coming up to take on these five kings in their places. And look at what it says. It says, God strikes them with a great blow at Gibeon and the Israelites, through God, chase them all the way. So there's like, it's just crazy right now. So as they fled before Israel while they were going down, the Lord, ready for this, threw large stones from heaven on them and they died. Wow, the Bible just got weird. 
Did it not? Did that? There's another plot twist. Chapter 10. Wait a second. So he sends the army. They go through the night. They show up early in the morning. All the people are scattered. And God says, hold on. I got this. And he sends a hailstorm. So much so, there were more who died because of the hailstorm than those who died from the sword of the Israelites. Again, every time I read this, I think, my gosh, is God amazing. My gosh, does God have things under his control? And he is going to see whatever it is that he has planned out for his people through the end. Not only so, it happens this way as well. As they're fighting, they realize that they need a little bit more time to completely annihilate them. So Joshua asked God, hey, if you don't mind, can the sun and the, st- and the moon just stand still for a few minutes? Can you just give me a little bit of time here, a little bit more time to make sure that we completely wipe these groups out? Now I'm going to tell you this, this is the scripture that a lot of people who don't believe the Bible or anti-Bible will point to and say, see here, this shows you that the Bible is not real. Because there's no such thing as a sun standing still and the moon stopping. Clearly this isn't of God. Because the sun doesn't rise or set, does it? What happens? You guys were all in science class, what happens? Okay. Now I want you to hold on to this thought because some of you when you wake up in the morning and you have your cup of coffee and of course you go to God in prayer and then you do your devotional, then you turn on your news station, right? That's everyone's process in the morning. No one ever checks their phone first. No one ever goes to social media first. You go to God first and you hear someone that's called a meteorologist pop up on that screen. And the meteorologist says, today, At 8.52, the sun is going to rise. Do you get upset with that meteorologist? That's actually not true. The sun doesn't rise. Why haven't we stoned all of the meteorologists on our planet? (laughs) It's a figure of speech. This is how we've talked. We've talked like this for 2,000 years. So, of course, whatever it is that God did, two miracles. Hailstorm, a sun and a moon standing still. So he strikes them down, they fight for Israel, all of this incredible stuff takes place. And so here is my point for you today. God has already defeated our enemy. Don't ever, ever, ever question that. On the cross, he has done everything that needed to be done on the cross and through the resurrected tomb, he has defeated sin, death, and the devil for you and for me. He is defeated. No matter what, he has no authority or foothold in your life. Number two, God is with us and he is fighting for us. You are not in this life alone. You are not fighting your battles alone. God goes before you. He's behind you. He's to the left of you. He's to the right of you. He's right beside you. He's in your heart. He is fighting with you. And number three, we have nothing to fear. And this is the lie that we believe for the last two years, more than anything else, is that we have to fear what's going on in our world. We have to fear our government. We have to fear other countries. We have to fear this and this and this and this and this. You have nothing to fear. God has been taking care of his people since the garden. God has been taking care of his people since they put him in a desert for 40 years. God has been taking care of his people since he called Joshua and had him walk around and do a bunch of crazy stuff in these accounts. He can certainly take care of you and me. Amen? You bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this very patient congregation that let me really go long today. And I pray, God, if there's anyone new here this morning, that they would know and hear the heartbeat of this church. God, our desire 
to read your word and to take comfort in the words that you give us. You are our God, and you will never stop being our God and leading and guiding us into the future. And so God, now even as we prepare our hearts to receive Holy Communion this morning, this incredible gift that you give us, your very body and blood in and with the bread and the wine. God, once again, perform a miracle on our behalf as your presence comes into our lives once again. As you forgive our sins and you cleanse us from our past and you put us on the path for our future. 